Good morning. Good morning. We're going to be looking at Joshua chapter 14. Joshua 14. Brother Chris read this passage before Bible class hour, focusing on verses 6 to 13, focusing mainly on a fellow you love. His name is Caleb. His name is Caleb. We remember Joshua and Caleb. We don't remember the other names of the spies that were sent out, do we? Remember back in Numbers 13 and 14, God, uh, through Moses, sent out spies uh, into the promised land. We remember Joshua and Caleb, but the other spies, who were they? They brought back an unfaithful report, that's right, but not Caleb, not Caleb. In fact, you might hold your place right there in Joshua 14 and run back to Numbers 14 and 24 and notice what God said about Caleb. This will be Numbers 14, 24. God said about Caleb, oh, that God would say this about me. God said about Caleb, but Caleb has a different spirit. I'll give him a portion in the land. Now these other guys who brought back an unfaithful report and the generation with them will not be able to go into the promised land. But Caleb and Joshua will. Caleb will get to go in there. He's going to have a portion of part of the inheritance because he has a different spirit. What kind of faith catches the eye of God? What kind of spirit stands out to where God will complement this man in such a way? And that, of course, is the type of person we want to be. So we're going to focus in on Caleb, Caleb this morning. And we'll be focusing on Joshua 14, verses 6 to 14. Now a lot of people, they look at the word different and it's, it sends, it sends um, just a host of chilling fears into their soul because they don't want to be different. They want to be different. They, they want to be the same. They want to be like everybody else. They find security in being like everybody else. But God's people can't be that way. God is too distinct. God is so holy. We just can't be that way. Caleb was different. What was it that caught God's eye? Let's notice some things about Caleb. First of all, look here in Joshua 14 and notice that he had a lasting faith. He had a faith, a faith that lasted that lasted. Notice what he says, verse 11, Joshua 14, verse 11. He said, I am still as strong today as I was in that day. That day. Now, how old is Caleb at this time? He's 85 years old. How old was he when Moses sent out the spies? He was 40 years old. I'm as strong today. And he's not just talking about physically. He's certainly talking about his faith because that's what distinguished him back in those days was his faith. Okay, He said, we are well able to overcome. We're well able to go into this land. With God's help, he delights in us. We're well able to go in this land. No problem. Let's get going. He says, I am as still strong today as I was then. Notice his words here in verse 11. He says, my strength now is as my strength was then for war and for going and coming. He had a, he had a lasting faith. 
Faith that endeared. That's what God wants. That's what set him apart. That's what sets him apart right now in our minds. His faith is still there. Well, I'll be able to say that. You see, that's, that's the end deal. 45 years from now, 20 years from now, one month from now, 45 days from now, 45 minutes from now, eight hours from now, will my faith be as strong then as it is now? A lot of folks start off with a strong faith. It just doesn't last. Now looking over to to the prophet Jeremiah for comparison here. Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 2 and 3 we mentioned Wednesday night that Jeremiah was all in the business about warning God's people that Babylonian captivity is coming and explaining why that's probably going to happen. And here's what God is saying through Jeremiah. He said, God said to his people Israel, when, when you were young and devoted to me, you had a love like, like two newly married people, but it's not that way now. As a husband for his bride, you loved me with a great devotion when you were young. When you were in the wilderness. When you were following me. But it's much different now. Then, then you were holy to God. Then you were the first fruits of his harvest. But it's not that way now. Their faith had not lasted, you see. Do we ever think about what our weakness does to God? Do we ever try to get into the mind of God as to what it does to Him when we show up weak in faith? Notice what is said here through Jeremiah. When you were young, you were devoted, and you were to me as holy. You were set apart from me. You were the first fruits of my harvest, but not now. Not now. You see, we need, like Caleb, a faith that lasts. That lasts. You might turn your Bibles with me to another prophet, Ezekiel, and look at chapter 18. This is, the, all the, this is about the chapter that's all about um, personal responsibility. The soul that sins, it shall die. The children shall not inherit the, uh, the sin of their fathers. And they will not pay for the sin of their fathers. And fathers are not for the children. It's all about personal responsibility. Ezekiel 18 Notice the message that comes to us, Ezekiel 18.24. Ezekiel 18.24. When a righteous person turns away, that gets our attention. When a righteous person turns away from his righteousness and does injustice and does the same abominations that the wicked person does, shall he live? Notice. None of his righteous deeds that he has done shall be remembered for the treachery of which he is guilty and the sin that he has committed for, for them he shall die. If we turn away, if we don't last in our faith, then the Lord's message to us is that we will die. We will die. God warns us really about the old rocky ground. The rocky ground. When Jesus gives the parable of the sower, one place it's recorded for us is Matthew 13, 20 and 21, the old rocky ground. What experience have you had with rocky ground? What, what experience have you had with, with rocky ground? I can tell you my experiences. 
It's not fun. I played a little league baseball, a little bit of little league baseball. And the fields we played on then were interesting, Brother Roger. I know you've got some experience with this. We didn't have infield grass. That's, that's a new thing for Little League especially. I mean, that, in our day, the thrill of going to a Major League Baseball game was to be able to see the grass on the field. Our Little League was not grassy. It was a goat ranch. That's what it was. And it was rock. I've got the memory of black eyes because I played infield, and when the ball is bounced, comes to you, and there's a rock that's in front of your foot, but you don't know it's there. It hits that rock, and it, it's, your glove is in perfect position to get the ball, but it's going to hit that rock, and guess where it goes? Either your nose or your eye. I experienced a lot of those. But as a base runner in baseball, this is where your, a lot of your memories are with that rocky ground. Because when you're headed to second base and the ball is coming, you're going to slide. You're going to slide on that goat ranch. And the result of that is what the older guys, including my dad and my uncles and so forth, they would call that a strawberry. Okay. So next day we're at a family gathering and dad would say, Dave, raise up your britches there and show them your strawberry. Well, dad, you know, basically my bone is showing through there. It, I don't think it's something to see here at the lunch time. Rocky ground. Jesus said sometimes when we receive the Word of God, our heart is rocky. It doesn't take root. And when persecution and tribulation comes, we fall away. We fall away, but not with Caleb. Caleb had a lasting faith. A second thing about Caleb here, back in Joshua... Uh, chapter 14, and we want to be able to imitate his faith the best we can. In Joshua chapter 14, notice with me in verse 12, Caleb says, Now give me this hill country, give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke on that day, for you heard on that day how the Anakim was there, and they have great fortified cities there. But here's the statement. Here's the thing. The second thing about Caleb's Faith. He was open to the possibilities of God. He was open to the possibilities of God. Notice this statement here in chapter 14, verse 11. Notice he says, Now the Anakim are there. Those are great fortified cities. Those are people there who are very big in stature and they know what to do on a battlefield. He said, It may be that the Lord will be with me. Don't you love that statement? Notice how he's open to the possibilities of God. It just may be that the Lord will be with me. I just, I just can't get over that. That's just incredible. Notice this is an 85-year-old man. 85 years old. He, is, uh, he says, I, I want to be right here. I want this portion of land where these giants are. With these fortified cities, or it just may be me at 85 years old, it may just be that the Lord will be with me. Do we ever just consider the possibilities with God? 
Matthew 19, 26, Jesus said himself, with men it is impossible, but not with God. With, with God, all things are possible. Possibilities. You may have, this is an older movie, but you may have watched it. It's called Angels in the Outfield. Not too terrible. It has, also has a baseball background to it. Angels in the Outfield. But there's a little... The, the story focuses on two boys who are in foster care. And one little boy, that's one of his favorite statements is, it could happen. It could happen. Yeah, it could happen. I, I like that statement. It's similar here. He was always looking on the bright side. It could happen. With God, there's a lot of bright side. Okay. Someone has said, if you can't look on the bright side, try to polish the dull side a little bit. This boy, he, he always, even though he was being shipped from house to house and from difficult situation to difficult situation, he kept thinking, you know, we're going to land in a good house. Somebody's going to want to keep us one of these days. It could happen. It could happen. And that's the faith of Caleb here. He was open to the possibilities of God. It could happen. It may be. You know, it just may be. It just may be. It may be that the Lord will put a strong church right here in this community. It could be. It may be that the Lord wants you over in Russia. It may be you could do that. It may be the Lord wants you in Minnesota. It just may be. It may be the Lord wants you to work in children's homes. And, and it just may be that he will take you and put you in a children's home. You may do wonderful work from that, that, that point on. It just may be that God's going to give you the strongest family for him that we've seen in a long time. It just may be. Why can't we make that our motto? Why can't we make that our motto? Now, I was kind of started looking for similar statements in the Bible. And it leads you to forgiveness. It leads you to forgiveness. For example, in, in the book of Jonah, chapter 3, Jonah speaks his message finally to the men of Nineveh. And the king of all people got hold of that. And he put himself in sackcloth and ashes and began to repent. And he made a proclamation that, that even the beast of the field should be clothed in sackcloth and all the land should be, should be clothed in sackcloth and people should fast for several days because it just may be that the Lord will relent and not bring this judgment on us. Jonah's message was, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be destroyed but it may be, he was saying, if we turn from our evil ways, it may be the Lord will relent. What do we have to lose anyway? It just may be. I just got to thinking, we open up ourselves to the possibility of God forgiving. In fact, we walk around saying we're okay with God. We're good with God. Because we have opened up ourselves to the possibility and the strong possibility of God forgiving us why, why is that so easy for us, but it's so hard for us to open up ourselves to the possibility of God being with us and doing more for Him in reaching out to others? Why is it so easy for us to receive His forgiveness, but so hard for us to receive His assurance as we step out, maybe even step out of our comfort zones and seek to do more for Him? Why is it? Joel chapter 2 verse 14 has a similar statement. 
where, where Joel is, is facing a crisis in his day. And he, he encourages people, don't just put on your, your sackcloth. Don't just start tearing your clothes, but break your heart as well. Joel 2.14, it may be, it just may be that God will relent and leave a blessing. You know, it's not just he may be, there's a great possibility. The, the, the tremendous thing about this statement, it just may be the Lord will be with us, is we cannot trace what God is doing all the time. But we have a history that God will be with us as we seek his righteousness, his kingdom, his righteousness first. There's a good possibility. But because he is who he is and we are who we are, we cannot say for sure what he's going to do. But we know that he can be with us. He will be with us. We know how great his promises are. It's a great possibility. What do we have to lose anyway? Where else are we going to go? Let us step out on faith. Now the great thing about Caleb is he opened himself up to the possibilities of God. A third thing about Caleb's faith is that he knew his heritage. I want you to notice this with me. Chapter 14, verses uh, 13 through 15. It says, Joshua blessed him because Caleb's asking for a certain portion of the land. And the name of the place is going to be Hebron. Hebron. Notice that in chapter 14, 13. Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, 14, 14. What was special about Hebron? Okay. If you go back to Genesis 23, you find Abraham there. And Abraham is looking for a piece of land where he can bury his wife out of his sight. Genesis 23, verse 19, calls this piece of land Hebron. Genesis 23, 19. Hebron. You see, Caleb knows his heritage. This is sacred land to him. And there's people here that ought not to be here. This is sacred land. And so he wants this land. It is sacred to him. This is where he wants to to pitch his tent. This is where he wants to take his stand. Hebron. This is the only piece of land that Abraham ever owned. In Genesis 23, we find him making a a negotiation, a deal with the Hittites so that he can have a place where he can bury his wife Sarah and then later Isaac and Rebekah and Jacob are buried there as well. It's not just happen chance that he chose this land. This was sacred to him. He knew his history. I wonder how much we think about that. Ours is not a physical land heritage as in those days, but we have a lot of spiritual heritage behind us. And it is, and it begins with with Jesus Christ and all that led down to him and his apostles and his disciples and all the great works and and you just, your mind just runs through the life of Christ, all his miracles, and then his suffering for us, his tremendous burial and resurrection. His tr- I love that song we we're just singing. I saw thee not. Yeah, we didn't see it, but oh, how we believe it. Yeah, all that happened that was out of our sight, that's in our past, that's what we're standing on now. We're standing on the shoulders of giants. That's what Caleb knew. He knew. He didn't take his heritage for granted. 
We ought not either. Especially that biblical heritage that's been that's there before us. Oh, oh how terrible it would be to just throw that away. Throw that away. Faith of our fathers. Oh, holy faith. Why would we want to turn away from that? We were talking this morning in class about the great commandment, the great commission. That's our heritage. That's what we're standing on now. And that's what made Caleb stand out to God because he, he knew his heritage. He was, he was focused on what God is doing. And then notice again, going back to Joshua uh, chapter 14, we need to notice a couple more things about Caleb's faith. And I love this next idea. I'm going to need your help on this. In Joshua 14, 6 through 13, I want you to notice something that just really stands out. And you'll notice it here. I'm going to to read. That's why I need your help. I'm going to read. But you'll know why. Notice uh, Caleb's words. Verse 6. He says to Joshua, You know what the Lord the Lord said to Moses, verse 7, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh to Barnea to spy out the land, verse 8. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord, the Lord my God, verse 9. Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land in which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever because you have wholly followed the Lord, the Lord my God. Verse 10. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said he would these 45 years. Notice again. Verse 12, until now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day, for you heard on that day how the Anakim was there. It may be that the Lord, the Lord, notice verse 12, the Lord, it may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall drive them out just as the Lord has said. Of course, you see what I'm saying here. He had a, he had a God-drenched mind. That's what made his faith so strong. He not only knew his heritage, but he had a God-drenched, drenched, soaked. His mind was marinated in the Lord God. That's what makes a faith strong. It's one thing to know what the Bible says. It's another thing to see it come out in our conversations. Come out in our lives. Now think about this. Sometimes folks will show me statements on Facebook that that people make about life, about reactions to to different things. You see a long thing. And what I do, I look for Lord, the Lord. Where's the Lord in all this? What's God got? Is, Is God doing anything today? Does God's will have anything to do with life at all? Where where's the church? Where's righteousness? Where's the kingdom? What about the Lord? Caleb couldn't make a statement about his inheritance without mentioning the Lord. How many times? I didn't count them. But just about every verse here in verse 12, three times. He had a God-drenched mind. 
makes a big difference. Makes a big difference. Acts chapter 14, 27, when they came back and reported all they've been doing in the missionary journeys, they said, they said, we want to talk to you about the, what the Lord has been doing. Is the, Lord, is the Lord doing anything? If you're alive, the Lord has done something. That's what, that's what Caleb says here. He has kept me alive these 45 years. It's the Lord that has done that. If there's any blessing that we are soaking in every day, then the Lord is doing something. What about a Lord-drenched mind? Doesn't that help our faith? Surely it will. You take, take an apple, cut it in half. Have your bowl of just good clean water here on the left. Put one half of the apple in that bowl of good clean water. Then have you another little container of battery acid. Put the other apple, slice of apple in the battery acid. Let them, let them soak there for about five minutes. Now which one of those are you going to want to eat? Well, the apple is our mind. The good clean water is God. The problems of the world is that battery acid. The more that our mind is soaked with God, then the better view we're going to have of problems. At least it seems that this is coming out from the example here of of Caleb. You see, God is above everything in the world. God is high. He's often called the most high God uh, several times. For example, in Luke 1.32, the angel said to Mary, He will be great, your son. He will be great. He should be called the son of the most high. God is above all this. God's above everything. It would seem that we as his followers want to have, we want to be saturated with, with God, and it ought to come out. It ought to come out. When it comes out, that's the best thing ever. It was said of the early disciples, they have filled Jerusalem with this teaching of Christ. Because the reason they filled Jerusalem with that teaching of Christ because their mind was filled with it. So wonderful. Problems can create mountains. But God is said to be a mountain mover. Shouldn't we think more of the mountain mover than the mountain itself? Seems to make sense. So if you think about Caleb here, we all want to be strong in our faith. And the one who needs it most in this room is me. It's me. And when I look at Caleb, I see he had a lasting faith. I see that he's open to the possibilities of God. I see that he had a great respect for the heritage of faith that was before him. And I see that his mind is just soaked. You've been soaked before. You've been soaked to the bone, we say. Caleb was just soaked with thoughts of God. Thoughts of God. You know, Paul said in Colossians 3, 1 and 2, If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Where Christ is, sitting on the right hand of God. He's above. He's the most high God. Then he says, Colossians 3, 1 and 2, Set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth. So we know he had a God-drenched mind. 
But then finally, Caleb, he wanted to fight. He wanted to be part of the fight. There will always be a cause of fighting for God. He wanted that. He wanted that. He wanted this piece of land for several reasons, but mainly he wanted to be. Notice what he says here. I'm not making it up. 14 verse 11, he says, My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for going and coming, but for war. He wanted this fight. Wanted this fight. We know from his faith, we're not talking about somebody who's contentious, but somebody who wants to stand up for the Lord. He wanted this. One reason he wanted it was because that, that sacred spot, those Anakim were there. These were unholy people, and they were against God totally. They were the giants of the land. They had fortified cities. They shouldn't be there, especially if they're not going to be serving the Lord. And so he wanted to occupy and conquer that land. And we ought to think about that in our own day. When we see evil people taking over, it ought to cause us to do something. We read in Acts 17, 16 and 17, Acts 17, 16 and 17, Paul is in Athens. And he's waiting on Timothy and Silas to come, come be with him. But what's he going to do? He begins to observe the city, how it's wholly given over to idols. He couldn't help himself. His spirit was provoked within him. His spirit was stirred within him. And so he had to do something. So he goes into the synagogues. And then he goes into the marketplaces. Now the synagogues would have Jewish people. Mainly the marketplaces would have uh, Gentiles and Greek people. Mainly. But Paul couldn't help himself. He had to get out there and do something with the time that he had. This was too much for him to bear. He could not stand it. Caleb was looking to be involved in the fight. We've got to remember also that you know, he didn't bring these, the, 40, the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness was not on Joshua and Caleb. But they still had to endure it. They still had to endure it. Remember, when they sent out the spies, what was Caleb ready to do? Caleb was ready at that point. Let's go. What are we waiting on? I'm 40 years old. Let's go in. Let's conquer this. But it didn't happen because of the unfaithful report of the ten others. And so they spent 40 years in the wilderness. Caleb had to endure that. No fault of his own. The evil people brought this in. But there he is, still standing Still standing. He, I'm sure he had dreams. He was anxious to get into that promised land. He'd heard about this all his life. There he is, 40 years old. But it doesn't happen. Instead, the weariness, the dryness of that wilderness he endured, can you imagine, for 45 more years. 45. It's just, um, it kind of tells you, you know, he's 40 years old. And then it's 40 years in the wilderness. And now it's been five years. They've been in here badly and conquering the land. And here he, here he is still standing. He's still standing. 
Now, if you go back to Numbers 13, 23, when Moses sent out the spies, he says, now I want you to sit, I want you to bring back some evidence that it is indeed a, a land full and flowing with milk and honey, and that it's a fruitful land. So they go into the valley of Eskol, and they bring back a bunch of grapes, just large grapes, big, big old grapes like you've never seen before, as evidence that this land has plenty for us to live on. But notice, Caleb had his choice. He didn't choose the valley of Eskol. He didn't choose the most fruitful parts. He didn't choose the most convenient parts. He didn't choose comfort for himself. He chose a place where the battle would be. The battle is going to be here at Hebron. This is where the Anakim are. This is where the most fortified cities are. I want to be involved in this. I know I'm 85 years old, but it just may be that the Lord is going to be with me. It just may be. Let's go. What do we got to lose? It could happen. We're looking for a fight. There are many more thoughts to share about Caleb. He stands out. The Lord says it. We don't have to say it. The Lord says, here's a man with a different spirit. I want to be more like Caleb. I want to be more like him. And I know you do too. So if we can help, encourage, study, pray with each other this morning, please think about that as, as we sing this song of invitation here in just a minute. Certainly, certainly, the invitation is open for anyone who is beginning their journey of faith. And perhaps now, based on what they know about Christ, ready to put Him on in baptism as you turn away from a world of iniquity, a world of sin, a world of doubt. Won't you come right now as we stand together, as we sing.